Bienvenidos, esto es Diario de Abordo, una travesía a Waldorf. Mi nombre es Juan Pablo Varías. Y yo soy José Tobar. Somos dos profesores de secundaria intentando llevar una bitácora de las distintas peripecias que se presentan en el viaje por la educación Waldorf. Desde el Colegio Waldorf Guatemala eh, estamos grabando nuevamente un episodio más desde el contexto de las capacitaciones que recibimos en el colegio a mitad de año y esta vez pues tenemos la oportunidad de escuchar la entrevista que tuve el honor de, de, de compartir con Dennis Fitz. Eh, si ustedes escuchan en la introducción del podcast, eh, hablamos que somos dos profesores Waldorf, sin embargo, dos profesores de secundaria, sin embargo, en esta ocasión vamos a entrevistar a Dennis que tiene muchísima... Eh, experiencia dentro de dentro del área de la primaria, ¿verdad? Donde una de las particularidades de la educación Waldorf es que es el mismo maestro el que acompaña a su grado, eh, empezando desde primer grado, luego sube con ellos a segundo, así sucesivamente hasta grado 8, como es en, en muchos colegios, en algunos eh, hay diferentes variantes, pero en sí eh, la idea es de que el mismo maestro acompaña por varios años a su grupo y esto le permite pues, conocerlos, eh, entablar una relación con, con los padres y demás y al final de cuentas pues, se convierte en una experiencia, en un viaje también súper enriquecedor. Y eso es un poquito de lo que habla Denis en, en la entrevista. Esta entrevista, a pesar de que el podcast es en español, eh, pues no queríamos perdernos la oportunidad de entrevistar a Denis, por lo cual lo hicimos en inglés. Así que espero que la disfruten muchísimo porque lo que aporta Denis con toda su experiencia de, de haber podido haber hecho este ciclo de primero a octavo durante varias veces, o sea, haber hecho varios ciclos y además eh, ser un padre... Waldorf realmente eh, es algo que enriquece mucho a todos los que estamos dentro de la pedagogía Waldorf y a todos los que nos interesa. Así que espero que la disfruten. So, hello, Dennis. Um, we're here at the Waldorf School of Guatemala. Uh, thank you very much for joining us and in this conversation and letting us ask you some questions uh, about your experience as a Waldorf teacher. Um, first of all, Can you tell us a little bit about how did you become a Waldorf teacher? Yes, well, it goes way back to when I was uh, in high school, actually, in the 12th grade. I had a feeling I wanted to be a teacher, but I knew nothing about Waldorf. And it was through one of those destiny moments that I, I moved out from my parents' house and I found a place to live, and these people were trying to start a Waldorf school just by chance. And so I began college, and uh, all the while we had study groups in the town where I was living because their intention was to found a Waldorf school. So those two years I went to college, then I went to Rudolf Steiner College in Fair Oaks and took my training and started teaching when I was 22. And where was um, that? Uh, my first job was in Portland, Oregon in the United States. And I was the founding teacher there, so I had to start with just a kindergarten. In the United States, we often start with just a kindergarten. Right. And then the next year, we add a first grade. And as that grade moves on, then we add a grade. Um, so I actually taught kindergarten as well for two years in that school, and then took a class that I had some of those students for one year or two years already into the grades. And that was my first teaching. I was in Portland. 
And then I moved back to Sacramento where I took my training and I've been there ever since. So, yeah. Great. How long ago was that? Uh, 1982, I started in Portland. Okay. Yeah. So you started in in the preschool. Well, that that's... Uh, I you have like the big <laughs> the picture full, of all the grades. You the full span, because I taught high school as well. Great. Can, yeah. can you tell us a little bit uh, about that? Like, um, can you give us like the big picture of what is wildlife education, like going through preschool, going through the uh, lower school, the middle school, and the high school, since you have that uh, big scope of experience, mm -hmm. and um, mostly, how's that different from a mainstream school? Mm -hmm. So, at, at our school, and I think here too, the kindergarten is its own separate little fairy world. Yeah. Yeah, it's an imaginative place, and it's all about being nurtured and and learning how to be socially with other people, with other students, and um, it's just a magical place that children can grow and learn. And that's with very loving teachers in the kindergarten who hold them and nurture them. And then when they're ready to enter first grade, then they're met by their class teacher, who then will take them ideally through the eighth grade in the US and the seventh grade here. Seventh grade here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that period of time is uh, as a class teacher, I just say it's the it's the best. It's the most It's the most amazing profession that one can can have to nurture a group of children for in my case eight years um, So it's an amazing journey through history through science through the whole entire curriculum through those years um, and then in high school, they're met by specialists in the different subjects so the science and the math and the handwork and all the different areas are, are taught by specialists so that period of time is is very unique as well uh, the thing with a high school is it's a preparation I mean the curriculum really wraps itself back around the lower school curriculum so there's a bit of a recapitulation of what they've been taught in the lower school which is amazing so they go back through different material on a different level, this time with the idea of why, why did that happen? To penetrate the different historical things and the scientific things and really to bring them to the place that they're ready to go into the world um, with a sense that they can do anything they want. That's the goal of the high school. Well, the whole school really, but especially the high school is to imbue the child with a sense that I can do anything now. I'm stepping out into the world. We don't try and specialize them in any one thing, but we try and give them a huge, broad swath of experiences. So they have this feeling that, that they can take on whatever they want to take on, wherever their destiny is leading them and their interest. So it's a very special movement through the grades, all the way from kindergarten through, through the grades and then into high school. But the high school always has a sense of who is this person? What are they going to bring to the world? Who are they going to become? And I have that too, as a grades teacher. I want to know, who, are, who is this person? What gifts are they going to bring to the world? It's very special. So as a grades teacher, I can say too that I, through that whole relationship, I develop, one develops a lifelong 
relationship really with them. I mean, they are, they sense that this relationship that they had with this teacher and all their teachers too, um, is something very special, that they, they care a lot about me as a person. And I, I feel like that's part of the unique opportunity that the grades teacher has, that they, there is this consistency. They meet this, the child again every year and the child meets them. And so no time is wasted at the beginning of each year. You don't have to get to know each other. You already know them and you can just start running right off the bat straight away. Anyway, it's an amazing, it's an amazing relationship. Yeah, and probably that's one of the really special things about Waldorf education that you, you're able to guide the same group uh, through eight years. Um, before yes. we started our, our conversation uh, or the recording, you were saying that it's your fourth time uh, guiding, uh, being a class teacher uh, through the whole eight grades. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Like, um, what is to be with the same group for eight years and then letting them go and I don't know if you keep uh, in touch with them if you like well, nowadays there's Facebook <laughs> <laughs> there didn't used yeah. to be when I first started teaching now there's Facebook and I can get in touch with even these students that I first taught and they're almost 40 years old now those ones that I had in kindergarten for those years and now they're adults and they have children and It's an amazing thing. I saw a whole group of that first class that I taught uh, two summers ago. We had a reunion in Portland, and it was an amazing thing. They brought their kids and their spouses, and it was beautiful. Um, the hardest part about being a class teacher is saying goodbye yeah, at definitely. the end of the eight years. And I always thought, how would I ever manage? I don't know how I can manage saying goodbye. Um, but. It's, it's a wonderful thing when you get there. It's very sweet and nostalgic, and you do a lot of reminiscing about everything that's happened through the grades, and it's a remarkable journey. Sometimes I think part of it is getting to know the families really well, getting to know the parents, the siblings. It's like you're part of their family, and that's part of the beauty of it, too. It's just a strong connection and the kids feel held by that by that relationship well you're It's, kind of a big family also right like your class yeah your class like, like a big a, family yeah and the parents that surround the students are like a community and the parent of uh, the children feel held by this community of parents too and that, that relationship between parent and teacher that's very important right it's uh, something mm -hmm. that you need to um, grow and For, for the whole um, well, educa education process to... Yes. Right. And it's not to say it's always easy. It has to be nurtured. It has to be worked with. Sometimes there are moments of tension and you have to work through it. But you know it's not going to end at the end of the year. So you have the, the intention to, to make it right. Yeah. You know, kind to, of... To nurture um, it force you to to collaborate as a group like and as this big group not just with the students but also with their with their families the parents. yeah it's super important the relationship between the parents and the teacher if everyone's working together the child feels it and and feels held in this 
yeah, in the closeness of that relationship. It's a really important part of it. And talking a little bit about um, well, this journey that you were mentioning uh, through the whole eight grades, um, in each one of you the curriculum is different. In each one of the years you have mm -hmm. different projects and for example, the, when, when you build um, these houses in third grade mm -hmm. or you have different projects along the, along the grades. Yes. What do you think are like the milestones or, or the goals of um, of this journey through the eight grades? Like, what you will say are the main goals from each one of the grade? Well, I think the bigger goals are the language journey and learning how to speak, how to write, how to read, all those things. You know, those are big milestones. I think being able to write out of yourself in a creative way is part of that. Of course, the mathematical journey, you have that whole curriculum that you're developing and um, that the child feels confident that they can apply mathematics to whatever they're faced with. Um, of course, there are projects along the way. Part of the thing with the projects is to develop their will and their interest in taking on individual independent work. Um, but a, lo a lot of that is just uh, development of the will, of the intention and the follow-through and the, the completion, seeing a project through to the end, to the completion. Um, it's hard to say milestones because we're, we're a continuous journey. We don't stop. <laughs> well, we have little vacations, but otherwise it's, it's a continuous journey. It doesn't, it doesn't have a halting point at any, at any time. Except the big one at the end of saying goodbye, at the end of eighth grade. But yeah, it's a it's a definite continuous journey. I mean, the the history curriculum, you know, that Rudolf Steiner said that our development as human beings mirrors the development of humanity. So we start way back in mythologies and fairy tales, and and then slowly, gradually enter formal history study. And then by the end of eighth grade, we bring them right to the present day. So it's a march through time. So that journey is definitely continuous. It doesn't stop at any point. But gradually the child feels who they are as a human being didn't just come automatically right now. It has a, humanity came through a long journey to get to where we are right now. So that's part of the beauty as well. Well, and talking about beauty, um, well, art is well embedded in the curriculum. It's very important for the lower grades and for the middle school. Um, well, since preschool and all the way to high school, but mm -hmm. um, in this eight grades, the from first grade to eighth grade, um, you use a lot of art to teach your your classes, um, mm -hmm. and the the students also do a lot of art. Um, mm -hmm. Why is that? Why it's so important to have art? So most of the art is not in a special class. Mm -hmm. It's not that the children then go to an art class, but they do art as part of every lesson. You know, art is embedded in the academics. So to me, the art allows the feeling life to be aroused, not just the intellect. We're more than just thinking. You know, we're more than just intellectual beings. We have feelings. We have um, 
this whole sense about the world of aesthetics. So to me, the arts are, are touching their feelings, it's touching their hearts, but it's also giving them a sense of aesthetics of the world. You know, what is beautiful in the world? Um, it's allowing their intellectual development to have another means of, of expression, in a way. So every academic subject that we're teaching, we're allowing not just an intellectual um, work come out of it, but also an artistic project or product as well. So it develops their, their sense of inner, it touches their hearts, so there's another part of them that's, that's activated but it also allows them a sense of aesthetics. There's also a, an aspect of will that comes in to artistic work as well, especially when you get into crafts and projects and things that they have to make, like in woodworking or crocheting or handwork. There's something that comes out that's a product. There's a finished product, and, and there's part of that is a will development as well, being able to to see a project through to the end, to activate myself, to see that it gets done and it gets done well. So that's part to me of the artistic as well. So, And I think yeah. that it's important to like recognize this human condition that we're living because some parents, or, or maybe not parents, but some people that, like outside of the Waldorf community, they say like, yeah, but my kid is not going to become an artist. Why is he? Mm. Why does he have to do a lot of art during uh, all the academic classes? Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't want him to be doing a lot of art. And it's not about becoming an artist. It's exactly. Because actually, they need the art at that time, at that age. Well, we need art all the time, but um, I think it's a great vehicle. To, to bring the curriculum and to bring the academics um, to a place where they can fill it, they can, uh, it can be, you can like actually make the content, the academic content meaningful to them mm -hmm. through art, right? Absolutely. Especially nowadays. Our society needs artistic work so much and, and you're absolutely right, it's not to make them artists. We don't teach science to make them scientists, we don't teach math to make them mathematicians, it's, it's not about that, it's about to allow them the full experience of human expression and human development. Uh, especially today with technology, everything is moving toward more of an intellectual, it's just becoming more and more intellectual and electronic and media driven and there's a whole part of ourselves that's missing if you're not exposed to music and, and all the different arts and all the different crafts. and It makes them well-rounded people. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's exactly how you, how, how you just said. Like, it's, not, um, it's not that the intellect is bad or that thinking is bad, but mm. that you're not a, a complete uh, human being if you don't have like all the other, uh, the artistic part, or that 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 part that touches your soul, actually. Yes. And so that's why you need. Yes. Um, all and the there's stuff. research that shows clearly that music, for example, helps mathematics. There's a direct connection between music and mathematics. Handwork and physically coordinating 
your hands and moving in certain ways helps reading, helps all that intellectual development too. So what Steiner said a hundred years ago, people are finding out now through actual research, that those things are important. They need to be part of education. Yeah. So. And well, that is, you're not just a Waldorf teacher, but you're also a Waldorf parent, right? Yes. So <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about that experience, about being a Waldorf father? It's, uh, that it's different from being just a Waldorf teacher, but um, having your, your kids going through uh, Waldorf education, mm -hmm. uh, what can you see there? So my three children went all the way through, kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, and they considered themselves so lucky. I mean, they didn't know any other school, but they know that what they got was amazing for their life. There's no question. Having me as, you know, being, I wasn't their teacher, I never taught any of my children, but being at the school with them and um, experiencing the festival life and all the activities of the school community together is, is amazing. It's, it's just a wonderful thing. So, yeah, to me it was, it was, it was the best, having my own children there at the school. Great. And talking about the festivals, um, because that's something that it's really uh, an important characteristic of world of education and maybe also very singular to world of education. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people could say that we live from party to party uh, mm -hmm. through the year, but mm -hmm. actually what's the importance of having, having festivals during the, the school year? So through history, people used to live more by the, by the seasons, by the festivals. They would be with each other much more outside, greeting each other, having gatherings to harvest, to help build a house or build something for your neighbors, and so much more interaction between people. It's how it used to be. So we're trying to bring some of that back. And we have the opportunity in the Waldorf School as a community to, to have those times together. And we have several times in the year where the whole community comes together and has festival life and we celebrate together and we eat together. And it's, it's bringing back something that used to be and we have the opportunity to do that in the Waldorf School. It, it, for the children, it gives them milestones, like you were saying, at least in our school, when they're third graders, they get to do this particular thing in that festival. Or when they're sixth graders, they always do that. And they see the children ahead of them always having that role in that festival. And that's something that they look forward to. And it's kind of a milestone for them, almost a rite of passage for them to do that thing at that festival at that moment. So. To me, that provides them a sense of belonging, a sense of place, a sense of time, that when they get to that age, they find themselves right there, and all of a sudden, they're taking that, that role in that community festival. The festival life sort of defines the, the, the flow of the whole year, too, so it helps kind of orient yourself in time in a way that just getting up in the morning and going to work and coming back, you don't even have a sense of what time of year it is. Or 
So that gets lost too, I think, in our modern society. So we're trying to bring back that sense of the seasons and the festival life kind of helps do that. Yeah, probably, um, yeah. Back a thousand years ago or more, uh, you were always outdoors and it was really easy to sense the time, to sense the, the season and all that. But we have um, became like so artificial uh, as a society that you can be at the same temperature if you're inside the mm -hmm. uh, room uh, all the time. It doesn't matter if it's summer, if it's uh, winter, if whatever. Um, you, you're not um, really obligated to fill or to sense time. Yes. And yeah, I think that's... Uh, or the weather. <laughs> or the, <laughs> or weather. the seasons. Yeah, It's exactly. all artificially made so we were always comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that the... Here, for example, in Guatemala, uh, we're known as El País de la Terna Primavera, the land of eternal spring, mm -hmm. because uh, it's really hard to see what what uh, time is it or what uh, season is it, um, mm -hmm. because we only have like a rainy season and no rain season, right. like six months of rain and six months uh, where it doesn't rain. But actually, by by these festivals and by, by trying to be aware of the weather conditions, you can actually notice that that's not true, that um, there's a time where we harvest uh, more, mm. for example, mm -hmm. that it's uh, in October, for example. And that's why we have Dia de los Muertos in November the 1st, because uh, actually it's, um, it's a date when we have a lot of food that And that's like a good time to to share that with family mm -hmm. and to do a, like a big reunion and have all that. We even have a traditional meal. It's called fiambre, uh, and it's uh, about having a lot of vegetables and different type mm -hmm. of hams and sausages and all that mm -hmm. because uh, it's uh, it's the time when the harvest um, it's more abundant. So mm -hmm. um, that's the same in California. October, November, that's the harvest time. Yeah, that, that's why you have Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, thing, right? yeah. Yeah, we have the other muertos. But that's something that our kids uh, have learned to, mm -hmm. to, like, to distinguish. Yeah. Because, and before, maybe they didn't know because they didn't have this milestone to remember them mm -hmm. that November is a special uh, month, for example. So, yeah, yeah I think that's um, very very it gives a lot to the children it does right yeah. so and that is one more question about um, mostly the lower grades um, and that transition from the preschool to the lower grades normally um, kids don't start reading until they are seven or mm -hmm. at first grade mm -hmm. um, a lot of people think that's too late. Mm -hmm. Why it's, it's not too late? It's not too late. <laughs> Children have all their whole life to read and to be grown up, and it's not a race. And what we find is that if we teach things when it's developmentally really right for them, they learn it much easier and much quicker. And they should be, we feel, that they should be doing other things rather than waking their intellect up too early when they're in kindergarten. They should be focusing on other things and their forces should be all involved with nature and with imagination. And 
you know, if they develop a strong imagination when they're in kindergarten and really train their imagination and their memory, which is what the kindergarten teachers really strive to do, that once they start reading, their comprehension of what they're reading is so much stronger. It's not mechanical. It's they have a, an inner an ability to inner picture because they've heard so much story in kindergarten and they have that. It's almost like a muscle that you can train in, in that comprehension and that imagination. So we do a lot in kindergarten to foster that so that when they start reading, they have a really clear ability to picture what they're reading and then their comprehension is that much better. And I think yeah. that's where, where the wisdom of the wall of verification is actually waiting uh, for something to be developmentally uh, like the right Absolutely. time. And, and that happens not just in the first grade, but I think that in, in every grade. Uh, in every grade. Exactly yeah. what you were saying about, for example, waiting to third grade to be part of uh, in this way of the festival or in high school, like waiting for the appropriate time. Um, to to develop something absolutely um, for example with technology it's not i don't think that Waldorf schools are against technology they are just mm -hmm. against technology too soon uh, for, for the children right yeah. we want the human connection not to get lost we don't want them looking at screens instead of looking at their teacher you know you can teach a third grader about ato atoms and atomic theory and what at how atoms make up everything on the earth, but why? why? What, how do they relate to that? And what is their inner experience that they have to, to put context to that? Much better to wait till later into high school. Then they can really have an inner sense and an intellectual capacity to understand that. So, yeah, it's not, you can teach children anything at any time, but it's much better if they're taught when they're ready for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, Dennis, um, there's nothing else but to thank you very much mm -hmm. for uh, being here and for allowing us to to hear you talking about your experience and to answer our questions. So, thank you very much for joining us. Um, It's been a pleasure to be here <laughs> and to see your amazing school and what you've done in so such a little amount of time. It's really it's a very special place. So thank you. Thank you for letting me be here. Thank you, Dennis. <laughs>